It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Here we go with Malia Jacobson as your host. Hello, and welcome to the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. I'm sleep and health journalist Malia Jacobson. I hope you're doing as well as possible during this crazy, stressful week. With everything going on in the world right now, I think we can all use some good news. And really, we can all use some sleep so we can go on fighting to create a better world. And I think this episode will help. Today, my guest is Dr. Maida Chen, someone I've turned to over and over again as an expert source for different sleep articles over the years. She is a pediatric sleep expert, and her kids are school age around the same age as mine. We'll talk about supporting sleep, not just during babyhood, but as kids grow up, because as the saying goes, kids don't outgrow their sleep problems, they grow into them, but we can help support them in different ways as they get older, and getting enough rest as a family is truly possible, even as kids get older, get bigger, and grow into the teen years. So with that in mind, let's get her on the line. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you as we enter this short week, this week after Memorial Day. How are things going for you? Things are good. It's a new normal for all of us, but um, certainly there are silver linings to be had in everything. Yes, yes, absolutely. We're closing in on June. My kids have, I believe, four weeks left of school. I think we're going until the 19th here in Tacoma. How about you guys? I think it's similar for Seattle. Um, I think there may have been a snow day here or there that we may need to make up, but I think we are in the same general ballpark. So home stretch. Yes, the home stretch. Although strangely this year, it does feel different. It feels like school is ramping up in intensity these last four weeks instead of winding down like it typically has in the past. And I think it's because everyone is getting on, you know, up to speed with the digital tools and kind of getting getting with the program as far as the home-based learning. And so it feels like every week is just a little bit more intense, a few more Zoom meetings, a few more Teams meetings for my kids, where typically after spring break, it's like countdown until summer. So I don't know if that's I what totally, happens. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. We have the same thing happening here where it finally feels like people are getting back into the groove, both on the educator end as well as the student end. Um, But hopefully uh, it will all be for good preparation in the fall if we have to do this again. Yes, I think we can all get up and running a lot sooner in the fall if this this happens again. And I think we all have the confidence to know that we can do it again. Yeah, but it definitely doesn't feel like the typical last few weeks of school where we're kind of sliding into home base. It it feels um, a little bit different. And this morning was certainly a busy morning because you know, with three-day weekends, it, it does turn Tuesday into Monday, so kind of scrambling around and, and getting everyone situated with their work plans. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have Tuesday morning underway. So I did want to have you on the podcast, and I'm very excited to have you here. I've interviewed you a couple times in the past for articles about children's sleep, and we chatted um, recently about an art- about, uh, for an article that I was working on. Um, about infant sleep, and I always enjoy chatting with you. Um, And when we did speak last, you mentioned something interesting about children's health and sleep. 
that's positive in the midst of everything negative that we've been hearing for the past couple of months. And that's that some illnesses are down this spring and that kids may actually be sleeping a little bit better as a result. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So one thing that quarantine has certainly done, um, in addition to decreasing the amount of COVID transmission, it has definitely decreased the rest of the viruses out there. And we know for sure that viral triggered illnesses, whether it results in something like an asthma type of picture, or simply your common cold, or a stomach type of bug, those are the things that are incredible disruptors to infant sleep at nighttime. Um, and we know how miserable little babies can get when they have a cold. It certainly can disrupt the sleep for just that night, but also emerging patterns and habits. And so when we've seen this decrease in all of these community acquired illnesses for this entire season, there certainly have been fewer disruptions in terms of sleep for a lot of these children who are at the highest risk for having these sorts of disruptions and illnesses. Um, so that's been definitely a positive that we have seen, both from the overall health standpoint, but also from the sleep standpoint. Yeah, and that's great to hear that um, kids are, are actually healthier as a result and that social distancing is working. I, I, and I do feel that in my household as well. I think spring is typically the time when we think we're past influenza season, when we think we're past cold and flu season in the late spring and we're really not. So that tends to be when my family gets sick is April and May, and we haven't yes. seen that this year. And it, it has been nice to have a break from that, for sure. Absolutely. And we've seen fewer and fewer um, sick children in the hospital as well. Um, and it's something here in the Pacific Northwest, we run a little bit later in the cold and flu season. We start yes. later and we end later compared to the rest of the country. And so- um, Into June, don't we normally go? Yes, yes, for sure. And so we've had um, an early ending this year, which has been good on a lot of different fronts. Yes, I know. I, I'm grateful for that. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, parents' sleep. I think, uh, I think a lot of parents are, you know, grateful for many aspects of, of more time with their children, um, grateful that we've pulled through, that we're pulling through into the end of the school year. Um, but many parents are feeling tired. And uh, when I did go to your, the Seattle Children's website to look at your bio, I saw a post that was interesting and that was about the importance of parent sleep. I think sometimes parents feel guilty prioritizing their own sleep at all, um, but especially right now, it's difficult to find any time to make, to make space for rest when you're juggling so much. Um, I know I mean, just in the last 24 hours, I'm, I'm up really, really early so that I can print out all my kids' school schoolwork for the week, um, staying up later than I would to, to cram in work that I can't get done during the day. But uh, a big part of being our healthiest is making sure that we as parents get our rest too. Um, can you talk about how families can approach the challenge of making sure that parents are getting adequate rest um, when things are a little bit, bit stressful or disrupted? Absolutely. I think um, there's been really a mixed bag of results in terms of the quarantine and everything going on in terms of parent sleep. So much is outside of our control that I feel that one of the most important things parents need to do for ourselves right now is to just give ourselves some grace and a little space to be anything less than perfect. We are, as a whole, an overachieving society. 
And this is simply not one of those times where there are enough hours in the day to be a full-time parent, a full-time teacher, and a full-time employee or worker. Um, it's just impossible. And so something has to give. And I think a very intentional sit-down session with yourself, with your partner, if there is a co-parent in the household, to say what's going to give, who's going to do what, and really intentionally trying to alternate things so that at least one parent, um, if there are more than one in the household, has the opportunity to really get some rest. I think treating ourselves is something that many of us look forward to, or at least certainly in the pre-COVID times, looked forward to in terms of going out and meeting with friends or you know, now that summertime is approaching, things like neighborhood barbecues and things like that. And one thing I would really encourage people to do is to reward yourself and treat yourself with sleep. Um, so sort of analogous to instead of mom's night out or girl's night out to mom's night in or girl's night in. Um, really to celebrate the fact that you are prioritizing your own health and your own sleep so that you can be the best parenting version of yourself the next day. Um, there are lots of other ways that I think we can achieve these sorts of things. I mentioned earlier, really intentionally alternating with a partner or if you are bubbling, so to speak, with another family or with parents, uh, grandparents in that sense to really set up a time where you can take some dedicated time for yourself and truly convert on that. Don't use that dedicated time to do the laundry or anything else like that, but really use it for yourself. There's no harm in catching up on sleep during the day with occasional naps, especially if you have younger children who still nap during the day. Convert that time into something that will be actually more productive than trying to just catch up on work that in all honesty, you probably aren't focused enough to do in a really efficient manner if you are really sleep deprived anyway. So I think the, the main thing here is really recognizing and prioritizing that sleep for yourself, not as a selfish maneuver, but really as an investment in the entire family's function and health. Right, absolutely. And I think one thing that I am feeling right now is just the sort of absence of any type of alone time, both for myself, and it's harder to carve out alone time with each child, it's harder to carve out alone time with my partner, and it's harder to carve out time for myself to kind of disengage and relax before I go to sleep. And when oh, I, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And when I finally do get that alone time, uh, you know, going for a run or, or whatever, it's, it's like work becomes, or, or working out becomes that alone time, but it's not restful. So I think I, for myself, I'm trying to differentiate between alone time that's work-based and then alone time that's truly relaxing, restorative, and preparing me for sleep and trying to carve out some alone time before bed because it takes me so much longer just to fall asleep at night when I'm trying to go from work, 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 okay, shut everything down, now sleep. You know, that's just not- Right, no, absolutely. Work. Things need to start and stop, I feel like way faster without um, sort of that cushion and buffer because everybody is simply on top of each other all the time. Um, but I, I think it's one of those things where also if you feel like it is taking you so long to get anything done due to distraction factors or just the, the you know overwhelming um, feeling of just being um, behind and, and just that tremendous overwhelm, realize that what is taking you three to four hours in a sleep deprived state would likely take you much less time if you were actually well slept. And so that trade-off of efficiency 
and focus are really something that people need to recognize in themselves. And it's something that each person needs to determine where that sort of break point is for themselves. But um, many of us don't give ourselves the opportunity to actually figure that out. We feel like things just need to get done. And there is no um, investment in sort of the sleep efficiency that comes um, when you are actually restored and rejuvenated enough to do your work efficiently. Right, and part of that for me is just struggling with, well, and I think, and I've been talking to my 13-year-old, my, my older daughter about just acceptance and, and sometimes just resisting the, the fact that yes, we're not as efficient right now. We're, you know, parts of this are just very difficult. We might feel tired during the day you know, and just, just kind of accepting that there is only so much that can get done in a day and, and to kind of set aside some of those, those expectations to sort of take the pressure off. I think sometimes that can be helpful. Um, and so we're, we're working on just the acceptance piece um, still <laughs> as we're, we're a few months into this, but, you know, it's still, we're still working on it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long-term project for all of us to work on. Right. Right. And speaking of my older child, uh, we both have three children. We both have school-age children. As my, old, as my own kids have gotten older, I've become more interested in sleep problems for older kids and teens and found that there really isn't much out there for parents of school-agers or teenagers who struggle with sleep, um, despite the fact that many of them do. And I know I'm learning more about the particular sleep struggles that teens experience simply because I now have a teenager. So I'm curious about um, your experience in this space and as your kids have gotten older, um, has that led to any new realizations or insights um, for you as a sleep medicine physician and, and the way that you interact with your patients who have, or, or your, your older patients at school age kids and teenagers? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I think when um, we had children, since I was a sleep physician way before we had children, I think there was this pressure um, that our kids would be super well-slept children who had no sleep problems at all. And certainly I had the advantage of also being a pediatrician by background of knowing a lot of the developmental things that were supposed to occur in children. And I would love to have been able to say that my three kids were perfect sleepers from the get-go because I knew exactly what to do. But in all honesty, I think one of the biggest insights I had was just that reinforcement that every child is different, that you can for sure do what you think you're doing anyway in terms of delivering the same kind of parenting for all three children of mine anyway, and every child's response was different. My first child was indeed textbook. Um, everything went the way it was supposed to. She was an easy kid to sleep train, and she was you know, a great sleeper from the get-go. Um, she continues to define the textbook in the sense that now that she is in her tween years, almost teen years, um, her sleep schedule has moved backward. It has shifted backwards where her natural sleep onset time has moved quite a bit later than her younger brothers. And her wake-up time is actually also way later than her brothers. And it's something that in current state, we have the ability and almost the luxury in many ways to be able to let her to do that because there is no conflict with her rise time right now in terms of school attendance and things right. like that. So I think, you know, just that every child is different. Um, one who is following textbook and then my younger two 
who, despite me doing the same things and having the same responses in their infancy and childhood, were two very different children. Um, my middle one opted to follow no rules and was very difficult to sleep train. Um, and he remains stubborn in temperament to this day. And my third one, who is much more laissez-faire, um, but also the more creative non-rule follower in the sense of just a non-conformist, um, had very little reliability in terms of his sleep patterns for a long time as well. So, um, you know, same set of parenting, three different responses. So I think that appreciation that every child may respond differently, and it's not a reflection of good or bad parenting, it's really the individual temperament. Um, but other things that I've really um, gained appreciation for um, as a sleep physician who has, you know, three school-age kids is that uh, probably two things. One is the um, importance of the intentional prioritization of family downtime. And whether that be um, for us, you know, and I think for many families, it's conveniently in the evening hours, sort of after dinner, after people have finished their sports practices and homework and whatnot. Um, but really very intentionally saying, you know what, after this time, there is no more media. We are hanging out as a family, whether you like it or not. And everybody is just going to wind down and we're going to do it together. That's been something that's been very important for our family. And it's been a cue since my kids have had since they were little that it is time for bed and that there is no sort of, um, there's no backpedaling on that from a parent standpoint or a kid standpoint actually at this point. The second thing that I've really had appreciation for, um, appreciation, I guess, for the presence of, not actually appreciation for, is the absolute sinkhole that media can be. Um, I know we talk about it a lot in the sense of um, how media can impact um, sleep from both a content standpoint, a time displacement standpoint, but also the light exposure from those devices and how that messes with your body clock or your circadian rhythm. Um, there's those factors that go into that media sinkhole, but truly the behavioral results that come from way too much time on media um, and, and sort of the detox time that is needed prior to going to bed um, when kids have a lot of media. And um, those are things that I've really begun to recognize just how impactful they can be, um, particularly during this pandemic when we've been at home and you know, like any working parent, there have been plenty of days, more than I'd like to admit, where my kids have been on media with very little school time on it, but I'm talking about YouTube and things like that for eight hours at a time because I needed to work and I didn't have an alternative plan. And so I'm as guilty of it, but it's really been profound, the effects that I've seen from it. Right. I am right there with you. And it's, um, and the kids have so much to do for just schoolwork on media and then downtime is media too. And then any social interaction that they have as well. Um, right. right. With FaceTiming friends and, and Zoom meetings and my kids do 4-H. And so those meetings have moved to Zoom. And so, and that comes into our weekend time as a family and Yes, the, the screens are everywhere. The media time is everywhere. And then that creates an additional dynamic, I think, as a parent, because you are then managing that media time. You're staying on top of what they're looking at. You're trying to, you're well, trying to, anyway. <laughs> trying right. to but it, it does, it creates this additional sort of sub aspect of parenting that you have to manage um, the tech side. Um, and 
with, and it's not just a, it, it's sort of something that I think I've had to work out. It, it's not always as simple as, um, okay, now you can use your screen and now you can, because for example, with my 13 year old, she's all, she's experiencing the, you know, the um, natural delay in her, her sleep cycle that you mentioned, that's totally developmentally normal, but I have her screen time or her downtime on her phone set, um, you know, pretty ironclad that she can't use her phone after this certain time. And she's never had a phone charger in her room. Her phone lives pretty much outside her room, um, outside, you know, during the, the nighttime downtime hours. But then we were looking, talking um, just a couple nights ago about things that she can do to wind down at night and, and um, meditation apps that she could potentially use. Well, she can't because her phone's on downtime right. during those hours. So, okay, how can we um, navigate that? Or if she wanted to do a breathing exercise on YouTube, well, then does she get to have her laptop in her room or not? Because right. I'm trying to disengage during those hours too, um, or sometimes I'm even asleep while she's dealing right. with this. So, okay, so then do we bend our media rules and how are we gonna navigate this? And um, can I, you know, do I wanna adjust her? her app limits on her phone and allow her to have her phone in her room so that she can listen to a podcast at night. And, and so it's constantly navigating that those screen time issues with the family that I think it does get more complicated as kids get older, where with my kid, my, my youngest child who just turned seven, it's just a hard rule. Your, your, your tablet shuts off at seven 30 and you know, you can pick it up right. during your screen time tomorrow. It's much, um, more nuanced with my teenager and we're having to navigate it all the time. Absolutely. And I think the world also, as the world has very quickly needed to get online in every way, shape and form. I mean, it, yoga classes are online, whereas, you know, before being in a yoga studio or a meditation class, all those things are now online and only online. And so I do think it will take a re-navigation. I also think though, it's a worthy conversation in terms of, the example of your daughter needing to do, you know, a breathing um, a, a session, whether it be on YouTube or an app like Calm or something like that, a lot of that can be learned and redone without the app. Um, and it's 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 just things like that navigating in terms of okay, where do we want to draw those limits and where does that slippery slope start? And certainly, there are lots of responsible teenagers out there who. Um, even if they did have a phone in their room, truly are able to um, adhere to family rules. I just happen to not trust most teenagers, so, um, but I'm sure they're out there. Right. Well, it, it's not just, um, I think it's just, I try, I don't have my phone in my room at night and that's just kind of a family norm, but it's also that it's not just your teenager, you know, there's texts coming in from other teenagers who are awake right. and there's you know, um, because it's certainly not just one or two teenagers that are struggling with sleep at night or that are night owl teenagers. There's a lot of them out there. And so um, it's, yeah, it's not just that I don't trust my daughter. It's just one, a family norm. And two, um, she frequently wakes up with texts from friends that came in at, you know, two in the morning or whatever, and she's 13. Right. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, but it's, looking at, okay, um, yes, so much, like you mentioned, the yoga classes have moved online. My yoga studio has wonderful breathing exercises that are now on YouTube that never used to be there. 
um, and she can access that, you know, and so right. it's maybe putting that on her tablet and we were talking about, well, could you um, read on your tablet and maybe you can have your tablet in, in here, but not your phone. Um, and so, right. it's, or maybe we can put some of these on um, so that you can um, listen to them um, without necessarily having your phone in your room. So just looking at ways to um, allow her to use some of those, um, utilize some of that content without necessarily having a screen in her face. But it's also that I want to support her in doing these things on her own, um, where I'm right. scaffolding the development of these skills and, and the knowledge that, that these resources are out there um, when you're feeling a little frustrated that you can't get to sleep. But um, I can't, you know, at 11 p.m. always be, um, you know, stringing, you know, get, getting this right. all for her. And so um, really scaffolding the development of her ability to resource some of that stuff to you um, on her own and, and kind of do that skill building of those relaxation techniques and things like that, that yes, you mentioned can be learned and then don't always have to be screen-based. I think another thing is also that there's potentially a wonderful role that all this online content has. It doesn't mean it needs to be done in the bedroom um, or the area where she sleeps. And certainly it can be done outside the bedroom. And I think most evidence actually points toward trying to really de-escalate the bedroom environment such that it is truly dedicated to successful sleep. And so having things like media um, even books or anything else like that outside the bedroom for many becomes an important um, psychological, which turns into truly a neurologic dissociation between doing those things and then actually sleeping, which is potentially the dissociation that we're looking for, which is that you can do all this media stuff. It belongs outside when you were awake, but inside your sleep area is truly something that is media free, is best if remains media free, um, and it's where people are successful at being able to fall asleep and stay asleep. And I think naturally having a phone in there that's dinging at 2 a.m. from people who don't share those same thoughts um, and texting you at 2 a.m. Is, is a place where sleep is suddenly not going to get successful. But that phone is allowed to ding at, you know, their friend's will outside the sleep area. Right, yes, that's, that's definitely a, a hard rule in our family. Um, so speaking of teenagers, um, in your work um, in clinic, what types of sleep problems do you see more frequently with older kids and teens? I'm curious about how sleep problems show up differently um, as kids get older. So the interesting thing is, I think many older kids learn to deal with that sleep deprivation a little bit better than younger children do in the sense that they kind of know how to compensate better. They know when it is appropriate and less appropriate to have a complete meltdown out of fatigue or something like that. But many of their manifestations of sleep deprivation or poor quality sleep are very similar across childhood. The first things that are affected will be behaviors, moods. Um, in tweens and teens, those moods um, and that behavior oftentimes translates into poor judgment and involves the decision to then take risk, risky behaviors um, like texting while driving or regretted you know, alcohol, drug, sexual activity, 
those sorts of things. Um, whereas in younger kids, that sort of risk, risky behavior profile is not so existent. Another thing that is really impacted in this age group with sleep deprivation is going to be suffering academics. Um, that goes to cognition, learning, actual academic performance. All of that happens very similar to the younger children um, when they have poor quality sleep. I think the biggest difference between older children and younger children is that older kids will manifest overt sleepiness. They will fall asleep at the wheel. They will fall asleep after school. They will fall asleep and take naps during the day. Whereas if you have a younger child, even though you really want them to nap during the day because you know they're tired, most of them are unable to nap during the day once they outgrow that daytime nap. And so those are the main differences that I see. Um, because of that overt sleepiness, older children also learn, um, unfortunately, how to self-medicate for that at an earlier, at a younger age than we would like. Things like energy drinks, Starbucks drinks, um, sodas, things like that. Okay, yes. And if you are seeing a teenager take, you know, huge naps during the day of a couple of hours, is that a sign that they are sleep deprived? Um, it's certainly a sign that their sleep is disordered. Um, at one end of the spectrum, there are a handful of teenagers out there who have true sleep disorders that lead to ridiculous amounts of sleep, stuff like narcolepsy. Um, but for most teenagers, that's, that's a pretty reasonable, reliable sign, I should say, that their sleep at nighttime is either insufficient in quantity or poor quality sleep. Right, thank you. And how can parents approach making sure that their kids are getting enough sleep right now without piling on stress um, or, or potentially making things worse? I think that this is one of these rare times in history where um, parents have the ability, perhaps more than usual, to remove barriers to sleep, which is actually, I think it's important to remember, sleep is actually a natural phenomenon, and sleep drives are natural phenomenons in all children. Um, when you get sleepy enough, and that's, you know, basically the longer you are asleep, the increased um, sleep drive that you have to actually, or sleep pressure, we call it, to fall asleep, um, that will happen. It will happen in everybody that eventually you will fall asleep. And allowing that natural rhythm to occur, which in teenagers we know is just later than we would like it to be because of school conflicts with start times in the morning. But right now that barrier isn't there. And so parents have the ability with a lot of children to remove those barriers. I think um, in younger children, um, a common uh, stress point for sleep in younger children is sort of that three-year-old who is beginning to uh, not need that daytime nap. And many parents become accustomed to that daytime nap, you know, between one and three or something like that in the afternoon, where they know they get a little alone time, a little downtime, a chance to catch up on things. And what they'll notice is that the three-year-old, if they get that nap in, will not be able to fall asleep until much later at night. But if they don't allow the nap during the day, that that child tends to be a behavioral mess or really challenging during the later afternoon and early evening hours, that's a situation where in current state, if parents know that they need that downtime during the day, 
that's okay. Go ahead and let them nap. And um, that barrier of needing to go to sleep at a certain time in order to wake up at a certain time has inherently been something that might be removable for a lot of families right now because of work restrictions and working from home. It's the same with teenagers. I think a lot of teenagers, there was this perpetual battle and a perpetual stress state between parents knowing and thinking that a teen needed to be asleep by 9 or 10 p.m. in order to wake up at 6 or 7 a.m. before school starts. That doesn't need to happen right now. And so the ability to remove that barrier of school start time has opened the doors for many to allow for a more natural sleep state and just taking that stress off of everybody in that sense. I, I think it's just, it's that, that would be the silver lining to me for this pandemic is that a lot of the barriers that were falsely in place due to societal expectations and work schedules have naturally been removed right now and kids are a little bit more at liberty to pursue their natural sleep drives. Right, yes, the interesting thing, I, I do agree, the interesting thing though is that um, parents, for the most part, are not on a different sleep schedule. Many parents are still having to get up for work um, and perhaps even get up earlier to get in some of the things that they might not have time to do during the day now because their kids are home. And so that is one of the things that we are dealing with is I still need to, you know, my sleep schedule hasn't changed, although my daughter can now stay up later and get up later according to her natural sleep drive, I still need to go to sleep at a certain time and get up at a certain time. And she's not used to going to sleep after I go to sleep. And so just shifting that, that pattern. Um, but it, it is, I think, important to make that distinction that parents have this pressure now of, um, well, yes, the, the kids can, can um, kind of loosen up their sleep schedule and take off that that piece of the puzzle, but parents are still in a situation where for most of them, um, they probably still need to maintain roughly the same routine that they had. Um, and, and, and so bringing me back kind of to that first question or one of the first questions of parents getting enough sleep, you know, I know I'm a better parent um, when, when I'm getting enough sleep and um, I do better on a pre-routine schedule where I'm waking up at the same time each day. And so, um, and so it's just, I, you know, we're, I'm talking about that with my daughter and we're, we're working through it. Um, but it's not a situation where it's like a vacation and everyone can just kind of relax and stay up no, later. And sleep later because I, I still have to get up. I have, you know, and so, um, and, and she's just for so many years been used to me tucking her and me saying, Good night to her that it's very strange to have her staying up later than me so that's just something new to get used to but um, from what i understand that's more or less the case you know for a lot of parents of, of teenagers is that their teens stay up later than they do um, so i anticipated that that switch somewhere along the line i just didn't know that it would happen this soon <laughs> right i think certainly there's been a crash course in a lot of it and no doubt i think a lot of parents do have similar work schedules although um, actually, in, in our clinic situation, it's been such that parents oftentimes um, who are getting up super early for commutes no longer have those commute times, which has right. definitely allowed everybody, you know, a little additional buffer in that sense. And totally agree that um, employed adults still have to work at, you know, the whim of their employer in terms of those times. I think there's likely more flexibility than there has been in the past. And I think for many parents asking to evoke some of that flexibility has been beneficial and sometimes just takes a little nudge in the sense of 
Maybe your employer wouldn't mind if you started a little bit later or something like that. So there's certainly that, but I think it's also, um, even though parents may not have a change in their schedule, it's really the de-escalation of that battle, I think, between the parent and the team that has helped right. so many. Yes. Um, and it's, it's really that escalated feeling of, I don't like my child and my child doesn't like me, that has decreased quite a bit. And that actually is probably worth more than we can measure at this point in time. And it may take a learning curve for both families, um, I'm sorry, for both parents and child to sort of know what that new routine looks like. But I think the fact that it's no longer an active battle for many, um, that has been the benefit more than anything else. Right. Oh, 100% agree. And I, I don't think anyone is at their best in the middle of the night when they're exhausted. It's really difficult sometimes to be the parent that you want to be um, right. in those moments. And so the more that we can, like you said, de-escalate and, and take some of the pressure off, the better. And that is a discussion that we are having with, you know, um, if, if it takes you a long time to fall asleep tonight, then, you know, you can rest a little bit tomorrow if you need to, you know, um, that you don't have to be in class all day. You can take the afternoon right. to relax, you know, and it does take, um, take a lot of that pressure off, which is very nice. Right, right. And I think the same for younger children as well in the sense of it's a great opportunity and again, there's going to be a learning curve involved, but it's also a great opportunity for even younger children to know in a safe setting, you know, the mommy or daddy, whoever is at home, doesn't need to be the one entertaining me 24 hours a day. That I can learn how to do some independent play with some degree of supervision, just, you know, especially for the younger ones to make sure safety is not an issue. Um, and obviously this is less pertinent for those with very young children, but it is an opportunity to have all children of nearly all ages learn some of that independence that I think um, has fallen a little bit more by the wayside as parenting has changed over time. Right, I've heard the chorus of I'm bored so more in the last couple of months and really in the last couple of weeks than right. ever before, which I kind of love because how often do kids get to be bored anymore? Right. You know? <laughs> and, and then they are able to come up with these awesome games and great sibling interactions come out of that. And, and of course, then there's always the, um, well, there's some chores you could do if you're bored. Right. So it's, <laughs> right. I kind of but love I, yeah. kids are having the opportunity to actually be bored and realize that, um, not, you know, that that's okay. Right. And I think, you know, at some point we all have to learn that, it's okay for you to be bored. And as long as you're safe, mommy needs to work right now. And, you know, that's something that my kids have actually somewhat amazingly, I thought they would really hold it against me, but they've really learned to appreciate that if we want food on the table and if we want health insurance and things like that, I still have to do a good job. And so that's something that is in everybody's best interest to learn how to entertain themselves in a safe um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be productive, but truly just safe manner so that the adults who are protecting the lifestyles that they've come to, you know, uh, they've come to know that they can continue to do that. I think that's an important lesson. Right, it is. And the opportunity for your kids to see you actively doing that or making space for your work is a very important lesson. And just the 
um, active prioritizing of the different needs in of the different members of the family and just the yeah. knowledge that not everyone gets their needs met perfectly all the time, but we all support each other um, is a really good and important lesson, I think. Um, and something that's that's happening daily now, which is, yes, my kids are seeing me work more and appreciating my work more as well as a result. And likewise, I appreciate their struggles more too and, and what they're dealing with with their schoolwork and their teachers and, and the difficulties that they're having to face every day just with their academic work. Um, I'm appreciating, appreciating that in a new way, yes. for sure. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, what's the, the top question that you're getting. Um, and, and I know we meant, you mentioned last time we talked that you are just simply not seeing as many sleep questions in clinic these days because people are avoiding kind of non-emergent trips to the doctor's office if they can. Um, so what sleep questions are coming up from people these days? So I think in general, our you know, clinic volumes um, are down in terms of uh, sort of newer sleep complaints and certainly people, who previously had sleep complaints that were centered around insufficient sleep, a lot of those people in follow-up have been like, you know what, right now it's okay. The kids go to sleep at 4 a.m. and wake up at 2 p.m. and everybody's kind of, we've learned how to deal with it. Um, so in that way, it's been nice. I would say that the biggest area where we've seen a surge are kids who have underlying anxiety disorders where unfortunately the stress um, associated with um, stay-at-home orders, quarantine, the pandemic, have really exacerbated their underlying anxiety. And those kids have really taken it hard. Um, there are a certain number of children who might have been sort of teetering on having more full-blown anxiety where this pandemic has pushed them over. Um, and I think those are the ones where we've seen the most questions in terms of, you know, how do we deal with this absolute level of panic, arousal, um, and subsequent insufficient sleep for the entire family in the setting of somebody who really has escalated thoughts about the pandemic. And, and that's been really challenging, I think, for many of us. Um, those have been my hardest cases since the pandemic has started in those kids who have underlying anxiety, many of whom have parents who also have underlying anxiety disorders. And so it's been difficult, um, I think, at many levels. And this is really, I, I, I feel the need to just stress that these are children who are outside sort of the normal realm of typical reactions, but these are children who truly have anxiety disorders that have had these sorts of reactions. Okay, thank you. And, you know, when you're um, in working with families um, around sleep and, and kids sleep, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of the same questions sort of over and over again outside of the last few months um, dealing with the pandemic, what's one piece of advice that you kind of repeat over and over again that seems to be really useful to the families that you work with? I think the most universal piece that I really try to impart on every family is that sleep is indeed a family thing and that it lies with the parents to make sort of active intentional decisions to prioritize sleep for the entire family. And that starts with modeling good sleep for for your children. Um, and there are definitely things that adults in the grown-up world sometimes do not have control over in terms of what time they have to get up for work and things like that. But certainly modeling 
good sleep habits, stressing the importance of sleep and downtime on a, you know, on a daily basis, you know, prioritizing getting media out of the room, and just sort of this imparting knowledge that everything is always easier to deal with if you've gotten a good night's sleep. And so that goes for kids and adults alike. Um, but that is the one piece of advice I always give, which is to, just to really have the parents model and prioritize good sleep for the whole family, just like you would with good eating habits. Um, you know, most parents know or at least strive to not feed their children fast food three meals a day, seven you know, days a week, stuff like that. Um, if you wouldn't feed your children these sorts of bad, non-nutritious food things, if you had the choice not to, again, it's kind of a similar analogy when it comes to sleep, which is, you know, why would you basically feed your children, so to speak, bad sleep habits? Um, and that's something that they need to see in their parents. Right. I could not agree more. Thank you for explaining that. Um, well, thank you. This has been so helpful um, and, and just great chatting with you. Where can people learn more about you and your work? If you go to the seattlechildrens.org website, um, there is a link within programs to the Sleep Disorder Center, and you can see a lot of the disorders that we treat, a lot of the common difficulties that we will address in clinic, and you'll see a list of our providers. So I am one of 10, soon to be 11 providers that are in that clinic um, who are happy to see children. Right now we are seeing most of our patients by telemedicine, so Zoom. Um, and I think while the pandemic is ongoing, um, we are fortunate that many of these sleep problems can be addressed without an in-person visit. Okay, wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Chen. Thank you for having me. Yep, all right, bye-bye. Well, there you have it. And thanks so much for listening. I hope this was helpful and can be a building block for creating a family culture that supports rest, not just for the children, but for the parents and for the family as a whole. On another topic, like many of you, I am in a state of sadness and shock over the state of our world and how far we still have to go um, to create a society where we have liberty and justice for all. I spent last year writing an anti-racist column called Beyond Tolerance for Parent Map Magazine, and one of the first articles in the series was called From Color Blind to Color Brave, and it includes a pretty thorough list of resources for things to watch, listen to, and read to prompt learning and growth around race and social justice. And if you're interested in that, I will post a link in the show notes. This week, instead of encouraging you to follow this podcast, I'll encourage you to follow the New York Times 1619 podcast and NPR's Code Switch podcast. Both are truly excellent. I'll also encourage you to consider supporting a bail fund, either a national fund or one in your own state, to help Black activists and citizens right now. I'm the daughter of two criminal defense attorneys, and I know that despite the tireless work of many good people, our justice system is far from equitable, and this is one small way to help. You can learn more at the National Bail Fund Network, the National Lawyers Guild, and National Bailout, and I'll post those links in the show notes as well. 
If you're a little low on energy right now and who isn't, um, you'll want to listen next week when I talk to an expert on chronic fatigue about some simple ways that we can help increase our energy and fight the fatigue that is uh, creeping in right now. Until then, please sleep well and stay well. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Now you know. Thanks for checking out the show.